Today I'm joined by John Culver, the co-founder and CEO of FanVest Wagering Exchange. John, thank you very much for coming on. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you're looking to find your edge in sports betting or racing, you'll need to visit the Betfair Hub. From analysis to betting psychology, it has everything that you need. Simply visit betfair.com.au slash hub. Today I'm joined by John Culver, the co-founder and CEO of FanVest Wagering Exchange. John, thank you very much for coming on. Hey Jake, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'm excited to chat with you today about your business, uh, obviously the co-founder and CEO of, of FanVest and the, the tagline is the stock market of sports. So before we get stuck into some of the products and what you're planning here in 2020, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself and what drive someone like yourself in this day and age, in this regulatory legal environment to start something like this? Absolutely. Um, So for me, I came from a um, background in sort of finance and investing in private banking. Um, And I've long been a sports fan and, uh, you know, played some fantasy sports. And about seven years ago, um, I started kind of experimenting with, you know, some of the tools and techniques I would use in sort of my previous life of being in, in finance and investing. And I started kind of applying them a little bit to try to get an edge in fantasy sports, you know, seeing how I could do some things with, uh, from value investing and bring them into, you know, drafting players sort of, uh, from a more, you know, strategic standpoint and how to kind of think about managing teams. And, um, that evolved as, as I kind of found some success in doing that into seeing what I could do in the sports betting world, um, in terms of trying to kind of, really have a deep and, and clear understanding of how those betting markets worked and how to kind of find value. And over time, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with it and really learned a lot, but I kind of had concluded that, you know, there really ought to be um, a better way to kind of invest in sports um, because, you know, as fun as fantasy and betting can be, you know, both of them at the end of the day kind of really feature a few winners and a lot of losing. And, and of course, there's a lot of other elements that, you know, go into the experience. Uh, but I really wanted to create kind of a new system uh, that would borrow from investing and kind of trading and, and really kind of the a marketplace and a marketplace experience outside of these kind of two traditional avenues in fantasy and sports betting. So kind of what ensued over time was uh, building a, 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 a kind of self-contained marketplace. And I said, you know, this, this could really work. And I think there's a lot of people out there like me who might like something sort of in between here as a, a new way to kind of monetize, you know, your sports knowledge. And I had that kind of fire in my gut. And I said, you know, I think the timing's ripe and, and there was a lot of movement. This was all kind of pre PASBA. Um, but I said, you know, the data was there and I really kind of was thinking, imagining this world uh, where sports betting was legalized and there was a lot more kind of opportunities and innovation. And uh, I thought, Hey, if I don't take this chance now, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. Uh, so I quit my job and um, started getting connected with the right folks to learn what I needed to do to start implementing the vision. So pre-PASPA falling back in May 2018, 
Tell us a little bit about what it took for you to go from finance to to quit the job, to get stuck into, obviously back then, you're probably talking about fantasy, maybe daily fantasy along the way, um, sports betting and obviously Nevada, but outside of that was limited to nothing in the US. It probably wasn't an easy thing to do, and we might think of things in today's current environment here in the US, but back then, uh, pre-PASPER, it was certainly not the same. No, I, I, um, I, I felt very much kind of like a man on an island for a while. Um, because the idea uh, for the FanVest wagering exchange really kind of crystallized in the fall of 2017, so months before PASBA. But once I really, really had kind of built this model, um, originally it was for the NFL, and it was, it was something that was a little more complex than what we're kind of rolling with today. But I had been able to kind of backtest these models that really, really mimic the underlying performance of these NFL teams. And I thought, okay. This is going to happen, and this is the kind of risk I need to take, and I need to get out in front of this, um, as this was something I was really thinking about. So I um, I talked to a lot of people who told me I was crazy, um, but I, I I just felt that it was more likely than not, um, based on all the kind of uh, legal uh, opinions I was reading and sort of these bill trackers in different states, and also looking at kind of like public opinion um, and seeing how a lot of the polling data suggested that. Um, you know, gambling, um, which often, you know, historically here in the States had kind of been frowned upon. Um, there was really a public sentiment change where the majority of Americans now had a positive opinion um, of, of gambling and just sort of thinking as sort of the, the secret that was wide out in the open um, about how many people actually gambled illicitly in the States. And so I kind of made two bets, as I say, I, I thought it was more likely than not that PASBO would be repealed based on this this sort of growing sort of trend that I, I, I believe was, you know, taking place here. And also just the, you know, the permeation of sort of betting data and analytics data into all kinds of sports media. Um, and then the other bet was that I had um, enough of what it takes to, to go out, find the right people to help, um, you know, instruct me and, and help build uh, this product. Um, and that I was willing to kind of give up and sacrifice everything um, for the opportunity, being comfortable with the idea of failure, um, but not being comfortable with the idea of not even trying. Um, and I figured, hey, the private banking job, finance, these other jobs kind of coming up the corporate ladder wasn't really for me. But if things don't work out, uh, that job will always be there, but this opportunity won't. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very, very admirable and courageous. And many people probably sitting in their comfortable finance chairs or other industry chairs making a decent salary wondering what if and thinking if they could have done what you did so it's always cool to see someone take the leap and and one question around your experience prior to FanVest you were talking a bit before about building some models and back testing and and my feeling or sense is that having some experience on the player side and what I mean by that is, is playing DFS or betting sports for a while or betting horse racing is really helpful in, in understanding and thinking through not only from a problem-solving perspective given sports and horse racing and whatever else is that oftentimes, but just from building a company, building the personnel, having the ability to talk through some of the issues that ultimately your consumers are going to face. Do you think that's been of benefit for you as you've gone through this journey? Absolutely. I, I think it's a great, great question and great point. Um, I feel fortunate that there's sort of this, you know, great intersection between a lot of my interests and passions that also help, I think, prepare me for the opportunity or give me uh, a certain degree of confidence to take to undertake this opportunity. And for, for one, 
um, as part of kind of before even I was in private banking and the investment side, I was at kind of a, a small sort of uh, investment firm. And that was sort of like a lot of my informal business education where we would just study companies, uh, learn about all their industries, learn about how, you know, to value them kind of in isolation. And I learned a lot about, you know, business that way and really enjoyed that kind of process. And then having been a consumer of fantasy sports and just sports growing up my whole life um, and then just being able to bring in these kind of aspects of like how I saw the value of like really kind of efficient markets and being able to recognize or realize value over time and wanting to be able to kind of create a system that would reward players, you know, in the long term uh, for their sports kind of like acumen. And I think the other thing is like having a real, I guess, kind of wonky interest in probability um, had a really, really big impact on me. Um, so when I would, would look into kind of the fundamentals of sort of sports betting, understanding how, you know, Jews and Vigs were calculated and looking at kind of kind of on a real sort of you know quantitative side of the math of this kind of stuff, what the actual return on investment would be from an investment perspective. Um, I kind of saw a pretty bleak picture <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, how your wallet gets impacted over time, even if you are, um, you know, a really sharp better looking at what those margins look like and the kind of discipline um, if you're in it for the money, which, you know, most people are to an extent, there's also a lot of fun involved there. But I thought, you know, these experiences like fantasy and, and sports betting should still exist and, and our success is in contingent on people quitting those activities. But that in another way to, to kind of invest in sports had to exist. And our longer term vision for that way is, is going to really bring in the kind of the power of markets. Um, I really don't think traditional betting kind of lends itself sort of structurally to uh, the way that a whole new different system would otherwise, uh, you know, provide. And so ultimately, all of these things, including just sort of uh, my real interest in sort of trying to find this kind of creative way to do this, uh, certainly were instrumental. And in, I think thinking about this opportunity and then trying to kind of realize it. So before we jump into some of the, the products, the innovation and what you're trying to build now, I'm interested in your perspective on the current US marketplace. And that obviously includes uh, free-to-play fantasy leagues, now daily fantasy in, in recent years, and obviously sports betting more recently again from a high level. Or if you were advising one of your finance or previous finance colleagues who wanted to jump into this marketplace and try and make a living, how does it how does it make you feel from a on the consumer side? Is it something that you're excited about? Is it something that you think is ripe for innovation? Just tell us your high-level thoughts. Yeah. Um, I'd say kind of answered from, from twofold. I'd say first on the kind of consumer side, I think kind of the post PASPA world is fantastic. Um, and this is something I, I didn't mention earlier when, when kind of asked about it, but it's also a boon for states, uh, to be able to, you know, <laughs> help their coffers out by taxing this, that it's something that so many people engage in. But from a consumer standpoint, um, I think by being able to, uh, bet on all kinds of games and, and outcomes, you know, at price points that are, you know, run the run the whole spectrum from, you know, big money betters to just like sort of what I call micro betters and these sort of exchanges or, or things that concepts like that, like, you know, prop swap or other companies out there. I think it really enhances the fan experience. And it's something that um, I think also can be done 
in a way that doesn't you know, blow a hole through people's wallets. And so I think it's fantastic, this kind of opportunity in the post-PASBA world, um, along with you know, the work leading up to this um, that DraftKings and FanDuel here really helped pave the way, I think, also from a regulatory standpoint and kind of carving out a different sort of niche of this sort of game of skill, game of luck dichotomy, which is something that we are really going to be leveraging in the future. Um, I think the kind of growth of these ways for fans to kind of get involved and have this fun sort of gamified experience with sports and find ways to make money off it is fantastic. On the business side, you know, again, I think it's great to have all of this sort of um, exposure and sort of attention in the space. Um, what what I found is that um, there seems to be somewhat um, of a paucity of innovation uh, in, in the whole sports betting world. And what I mean by that is that really there's this kind of race that's been going on. I call it sort of a little bit like the Wild West of trying to acquire um, as many new users uh, as possible by sports books. And what I noticed is that those costs were getting quite, quite high um, in terms of acquisition costs. And I, I didn't know how sustainable that was. Um, I understand that, you know, there's value in these things, but there really wasn't a lot of, uh, seemed to be a lot of demand to kind of innovate and create different experiences outside of traditional gambling. And that's, that's an area that I think um, is really important. It's obviously what we're trying to do. There are a few other companies that I've seen have been trying to do this. And I think as people kind of get saturated with, with gambling, um, there are a lot of problems that exist in sort of the operations of gambling. For one, I mean, it's quite complicated when you actually try to unpack it. Um, and there are a lot of like pretty expensive transaction costs that, that the consumer has to undergo with it and creating something that's a little bit more transparent, um, a little bit more intuitive in some ways. Um, we really like, you know, think that that can be a great opportunity and we're trying to kind of see the power of markets that I think millennials have really embraced when you look at the popularity kind of going back to finance and, uh, products like Acorns and Robinhood, um, and, StockX, you know, the, uh, the shoe exchange, um, there's a real kind of democratization force of having an exchange, a marketplace where supply and demand can help really set price uh, in a way that these other products still feature like daily fantasy and traditional gambling, this house versus the player element um, that will persist. Um, and so I think that might be something that uh, becomes challenging. Um, books to sustain. And for some users, once your average person, their wallet only goes so deep. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on. Just tell me the moment when you probably had quit your job, you'd done some research, you'd spoken to a number of people. You pro Like you said earlier, you were seeking a marketplace experience for what you wanted to create. Was there a moment where it all clicked and the vision came together? Or has it been a brick by brick approach for you? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, so I, I kind of, it's more, it's more of like kind of a picture, a graph. It's, it's a kind of a lot of highs and lows. It's sort of like a, a, a randomized stock chart, I would say would be the emotional ride and also the kind of conviction ride, but it's trending up, but it's, it's one of these things that sort of bounces around at different points. So I distinctly remember where I was, you know, here at my desk, um, at, in my apartment when I finally had in, in November of 2017, when I kind of crystallized this idea and said, oh yeah, this, this can work because this model is, is intuitive and it also, it does feature like real predictive, like kind of statistical data of these teams. And there's a logic here. And I was like, this is going to be fantastic. 
Um, but I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. And that was one of the kind of key things. And I think pretty quickly, uh, a few months before we incorporated in, in the spring of 2018, I realized that this was going to be a technology company first. Um, and at the time, I couldn't tell you what the what a full stack developer did versus a front end or back end or you know design. And so I'm, I, I knew very quickly, again, that I had to find somebody who could be kind of my tech interlocutor. Um, and, and I got fortunately got connected through a mutual friend who's somebody who became a really good friend who's now an advisor to the company and uh, Kash Duna. And he lives in, in Singapore right now. Um, but he really became the person who could translate all these ideas from all these spreadsheets um, into a kind of technological reality and how to think about evaluating talent and how to kind of what kind of tech stack we would need. And so that's kind of like a part of the example of like there's so many sort of points where you get that new information. Once you get that person, you get them to buy in. There's this other big, you know, kind of boost. And then you find out, okay, there are a lot of other things we need on the, some of the regulatory side. So it's this kind of constant um, you know, adjustment period, but it's trending upwards and the big picture ideas start to come together. And there are all these kind of ups and downs, but each new thing I'd say is, is more of a brick by brick, but the, the big p picture vision for what we wanna do has always been there. The time and the speed at which we get to all those things it's it's a lot more challenging sometimes than than you hear reported for a lot of businesses in this kind of romanticized startup experience. So you mentioned spring of eighteen. I think the you were incorporated and obviously working throughout twenty nineteen. Take us through the mind of a CEO in this space. Obviously, a highly regulated uh, you know legal patchwork scenario. Working through products. Tell us from your perspective. Are you looking to? Uh, run to the finish line, launch with a bang? Are you trying to get the core product stable and, and functional? Are you trying to have a lot of features in the beginning? Tell us a little bit about your mindset and how you approach it. Sure. So uh, again, this is also kind of great question along these lines. Uh, i answer that kind of twofold. One, the, the person I got connected to uh, before um, Kosh, our uh, technical advisor, was a lawyer. Um, and we started talking uh, again, in the fall after the idea crystallized of 2017 and uh, knowing that my long term vision for the business was going to at some point intersect uh, with the sort of securities regulators like SEC, FINRA um, and potentially CFTC um, and coming from my background in finance, um, I knew that those groups uh, did not mess around. Um, so like moving fast and breaking things in the kind of the Facebook sort of adage was not going to be. Uh, a prudent course of action for us. I knew we had to be very, very deliberate and thoughtful um, in executing like a smart business evolution and legal strategy um, that would leverage the kind of existing infrastructure today um, in terms of what is free and, and what we can run with and, and how legal um, certain operations are and how we can adjust them in the short term. And from each phase of the business, how that sort of framework might change. And so that was one of the greatest sort of uh, expenditures of both time and, and capital was a lot of kind of legal work where I was able to leverage a lot of what I knew from a lot of the kind of securities law and how to think about some of these things, along with speaking with our um, legal team at Goodwin Proctor. Um, and then the, the, the other kind of aspect when it looks at the product, I call it kind of creative friction. And that to me is the difference between the time and, and speed of which I can kind of bring 
my full vision of the product to market and the realities of the law, talent, resources, and capital and time that uh, constantly uh, create this friction between the two. And so from that standpoint, um, originally, and then in fall of 2019, we were looking at, you know, debuting our first sort of beta products for the NFL season. And originally, I thought that we were going to be charging kind of in a daily fantasy type fee based structure. But we quickly kind of, you know, realized that we needed to kind of, uh, one, create a really wide funnel for our users. And two, everything we do with our product is proprietary. So all the back end, all the front end, all, all of this design was going to require a lot of like specialized work. And that we knew that it was going to take time to start kind of getting the product to where we really wanted it to be. And during this time, we had to sort of be very patient, take feedback in and constantly work with our users to try to implement the best product possible before we even thought about charging anybody for it. And so that's part of it. And then also keeping the products as accessible as possible in the beginning, um, you know, debuting with kind of our more complicated sports you know, derivative products wouldn't be really a great way to start. Uh, we want to kind of create from the ground up. And so that's why we're, we've envisioned this sort of three phase business model um, where we're in our kind of the final stretches of our phase one or beta, which is our completely free to play products. And each of these products is going to has been improved upon from the previous product based on user input, collaboration, how we think the product should go. And then we're delivering these things through a kind of a weekly, a season long and a contest format, which all feature different pricing for different sports. And then we'll be moving into our phase two and phase three. So it's, it's a lot of kind of compromise. And then you're constantly kind of confronted with new information, new obstacles. And so constantly being able to adjust to that new information dynamically is, is absolutely needs to be part of our DNA and it has been and it's it's why we're still here even though we're being very patient you know we haven't we haven't charged anything yet I've been unpaid and I've sunk everything into this company uh, because I just believe completely in its vision so I want to get your thoughts on how you're feeling today and if we go back to you know working in finance working probably within marketplaces you talked about value investing and, and how that relates to draft drafting fantasy players to building, you know, the vision in your mind and then building it out through 2018, 2019. With all that background, how do you feel now as the CEO with, you know, you spoke then just about phase one, two, three, and potentially really uh, launching this to market. What's your mindset at the moment? At the moment, it's, it's really excitement. Um, and I, I, I say that, you know, with the caveat of, you know, where we are in the world right now, and with the kind of global anxiety and, and obviously catastrophe with caused by this pandemic. Um, and so that's something that affects all of us, um, psychologically, physically, families. Uh, there's so much uncertainty in the world. So the excitement is on the product. Uh, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't feel some of these forces and, and also, you know, the sentiment about, um, you know, what's going on out there. But kind of tying into what I said uh, before, you know, the amount of problems, we don't have enough time to go through some of these obstacles that I've, I am positive are not unique to me and my experience and my team. Um, but when we constantly have been confronted with obstacles, our mentality has always been kind of, how do we fix it? What's our next move? Um, 
if we didn't have that kind of mentality, um, we would be absolutely devastated and crushed at multiple points um, that would not allow us to kind of uh, continue to evolve and, and, and grow. And so for us, um, the, the moment for me is, you know, we've been building this March Madness Portfolio Challenge product as kind of our, our most complete beta product yet. And we started uh, doing a lot of design and development on that in January while our postseason NFL postseason product was out. Um, I was able to successfully, you know, raise some more capital to help kind of optimize this process. And I do have to say and, and get a moment to get into it. None of this would be possible without the incredible buy-in by my team um, from my co-founder and head of product, Fern Murius, uh, to our chief engineer um, and Vinny, who has just been invaluable in working with us and sacrificing so much of their time and resources to kind of make this vision possible you know, along with our advisors and, and Lloyd Danzig and our, our uh, social media help and Colton. Um, and so we've just had this incredible team. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention to our, our financial advisors, CPA and Jay Wang, who's, who's been fantastic. Um, so with all of this kind of buy-in, we were able to kind of make quick decisions. And so once the NBA season was suspended by Adam Silver, um, I think it was about maybe 10 days ago, about now, the reality started to dawn on me, the plausibility of March Madness getting um, suspended. And then in two days later, three days later, um, you know, last Thursday, that news came. And obviously that you know, affected the morale of the team. Um, but uh, I was just sort of walking and interestingly enough, uh, my fiance suggested, why don't you simulate it? And I, at first I thought, oh, you know, that's not a bad idea. I don't think that's going to, that's not going to really, I don't know. So I, I took this really long walk uh, and I was thinking about everything and thinking about how we fix it, what we do, what the world will look like for the next few months or, or beyond. And then my co-founder Fern called and said, you know, why don't we simulate this thing? I said, you know what? <laughs> You're the second person who said that. And I actually think that's, a, <laughs> man, that's not a bad idea. And so we, we quickly kind of got together started brainstorming, um, talked to Vinny, our chief engineer, and we basically said, you know, from a technical standpoint, here's what we need to do, this, that, and that. Um, and we had been also talking um, to a really talented data scientist um, who we weren't sure yet. We knew we wanted to kind of bring him on to the team. He had reached out to us and he had a really impressive background. But we weren't really sure if the timing was right. Like we cover, you know, we get a lot of data and analytics, but we, we knew that his value would be unquestionably, you know, realized in time, but we didn't know if we, we could value, his value could be realized in the short term. And uh, uh, Fern, my co-founder and I, we had a couple competing models that we were thinking about because we were looking at, you know, putting in something that had to be consumer friendly as well. It's not just something that would, you know, a few of us who like some of these technical models would enjoy, but we wanted to make sure this consumer experience could be fun and accessible. And lo and behold, this timing worked out beautifully. So you know, Kellen, um, who's been just incredible, helped with the model. And we quickly said, all right, let's do this. Let's make all the changes we need to do. And, you know, we we worked all through the night and we we ended up coming up with this simulated beta um, and which we debuted today. And we really believe that the, this is going to be the future for the short term um, and who knows much how long. But I was just so proud of this. And, and I think being able to adapt dynamically like this 
is something that a lot of kind of the older operators might struggle with um, and trying to fill this void and, and capture on um, the popularity of esports in kind of a hybrid for us now. Yeah, I have no doubt. So can you just tell us from a consumer or end user perspective, what can they expect? What are they going to experience? What involvement are they going to have? And and how's that going to look without March Madness? Totally. So um, obviously, uh, I'll talk about kind of the March Madness components. Um, One, you know, on Selection Sunday, um, we never got a kind of complete bracket, right? That never happened because the NCAA... I think, you know, for, for good reason, you know, decided to uh, suspend the tournament. Um, so the first thing was kind of like, uh, hey, how do how do we get the 64 teams we want that are going to be uh, participants in this? And um, we've been actually kind of tracking, um, fortunately, some of that information. A uh, website called teamsports.com um, has some great data, and they always have a pretty solid March Madness feature where they, they kind of show their estimated probabilities of teams making the tournament. And we actually been using that because we were designing all the new assets to kind of show all the team logos and, and all the stuff that would be going into the product. So we kind of went with that, randomized a few things, released our kind of 64 teams. Um, and so we had our teams that were going to be part of the collection. We put them in a, a bracket that people can view who signed up. We, uh, we also have that on our social media, but, the next step was really wanting to um, preserve the kind of randomness and fun that exists in March Madness and randomness in just terms of results, but probabilistically not make it so you know random where everything is a coin flip. We wanted to preserve the fact that you know the difference in the strength of teams and everything. So it was very important that our prediction engine that we leveraged that uses all the team kind of data for each team for the matchups. Um, could simulate all these games. And so we have this little process, which we're going to you know, explain to our users in an email. But we've run like 10,000 simulations on all these matchups. And when I do this game preview for the first round, which starts um, tomorrow at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, uh, the March thir- uh, 21st, um, I will not know the results of these simulations because we're going to do a 10,001 will be that extra simulation will be the, the, the result that we use as kind of the game results for a product. And that's going to be kind of a fun element to play with where the results are blind for me writing into it. And these, the simulation will produce final scores um, as well as box scores, even down to the player level. So shooting statistics, assists, steals, rebounds, as if you're really looking up, you know, something on sports reference about this box score so all of our um, users will get to see this stuff, which we'll be sharing on social media as we go through. And then also we'll have these kind of game summaries at the end. So kind of preserving that element of March Madness, the kind of the crazy, you know, mad parts that happen was something that was super important to us in simulating this um, and trying to kind of create as much of a semblance of the whole process without being able to actually watch or simulate or view those kind of games. Um, so that, that, that's going to be part of the fun that we were really proud of being able to preserve. Um, and I'll tell you about the product overview really quickly. So it's free to play. Everybody who comes and signs up, they get 10,000 fan bucks. And so fan bucks are kind of our monopoly money or fictitious currency. And you use your fan bucks to invest in teams. And one of the best things I think about this product is unlike kind of a March Madness bracket, 
which is just static, you know, once you've filled it out, um, our product allows people to invest in teams and then to reallocate in between rounds. So you can invest in a few teams that you feel um, are going to advance in the first round. Then you can reallocate your, your fan bucks or your portfolio with each round as a tournament goes on. You might like certain matchups differently. So there's a far more active role the sports fan gets to play. Um, and our scoring is a little bit different, too. So the name of the game basically is to maximize what we call your total game. And the way you do that is you maximize the amount of teams that you invest who win in advance. And very simply, you take the margin of victory of the team. So we're going to be simulating all these games. You'll see the final scores. Um, and you multiply that margin of victory by the amount of shares you have. Um, and that gets banked for your total gain. So if you invested in Kansas and Kansas wins by 10 points, you invested 10 shares, you bank 100 fan bucks going to your total gain. Um, and so you do that with all your teams. Now, if you invest in losers, that's going to eat into your total gain the same way. Um, but that is how everybody's kind of ranked on our leaderboard. Um, and that's how that will go through the whole tournament. And then you can also kind of form private groups through our parties uh, product, uh, which is part of the website. So you can compete against friends and family, you know, uh, your buddies, whatever you'd like to do in kind of a private group and sort of compete for bragging rights there. Interesting. I'm just trying to run through in my mind how that would look. So I'm guessing the time span will be the same as typical March Madness and it will just be simulated at the time of those games as if they were. Yeah. So we're going to we're running um, the March Madness is going to end um, next Sunday. So it starts this Saturday and it's going to end next Sunday at 6 p.m. And we have the full schedule and we're going to kind of also just share it through emails or sort of our our best way to kind of communicate because we are a mobile friendly web app. So we're deliberately right now not in the app store, but you can access us through desktop or or mobile and it's coded that way. So it's the experience is preserved for mobile as it is for desktop. Um, but with each game, like quote unquote tipping within one hour of every game played, we're going to. Um, update on our on our platform the the final score and we'll have those box scores available as well on social media and then they'll be summarized with our email and so the first two rounds uh, we put on one day so round one is on saturday round two is going to be on sunday and then we've broken apart uh the next sort of rounds a little bit through next week going all the way to the championship game being next sunday but there is that kind of hour break between when a game tips and when the results are in and then we've staggered that schedule throughout the course of the day. Yeah. So there's, you know, a little bit of lag time. Wouldn't it be very fun if we just said, all right, fill up, fill this stuff out and we're <laughs> going to press one button and then it's all over here. <laughs> we want to kind of create this experience and, and we'll be kind of pumping out content and emails and, um, you know, hopefully creating something of, a, you know, distraction for a lot of people, too, because, uh, hey, you can only watch so much Netflix during this whole thing, I, we think. And I think there's a real hunger for sports out there. And a real openness to trying different things as we're trying to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't mind, can you indulge us for a moment on what we can expect in 2021 around this time? Obviously, people will probably be filling out their typical brackets. They'll probably be having a, uh, a bet or two with a sports book potentially. But what about from your perspective? What's their other alternative that you're going to be able to offer them thinking ahead 12 months? So the best kind of comparable from a like, business standpoint and then consumer standpoint is sort of like a DFS contest. Let's say it's $20 to play 
And we will, um, by the way, have cash prizes on this platform here um, for, for people to win by the end of the tournament. Um, but in this case, we'd have much higher cash prizes. Um, you would get, you know, 20 bucks, you'd get 10,000 fan bucks. And again, this portfolio experience of being able to reallocate in between rounds and to be able to trade kind of between rounds really allows, you know, you, the player who maybe likes betting on one game, you can allocate all of your fan bucks, uh, let's say in, in the first round onto a number one seed that you really like. And you can really kind of create this whole new strategy throughout the tournament of how you might want to reallocate each round um, and how you want to kind of maximize those returns in a way that a bracket would not allow you to do because it's static. Um, and also in a way that, you know, individual bets, um, while certainly can be a fun way to do that, um, don't allow you to kind of give you the same sort of diversification that this platform would be without having to pay like a commission or a VIG every time you're doing that. And so you can really kind of take that strategy to another level where if you're, if you're pairing this experience with a bracket and a sports book, you know, you can make certain spread bets or you can use the betting market, for example, um, as a, a good sort of like futures market for our product. So you could look at the spreads, for example, of let's say some games in um, the round of 32 and you could compare them basically and say, if these, which ones do I think are more accurate? Do I think the team's going to win by more or less? The same kind of approaches that you would take into that, you could also hedge in our market by looking at how you want to invest. Um, or you could use it as a good proxy when you kind of think about predicting the kind of total gain you can earn each round. So there's this kind of fun interplay that borrows from both of those experiences and also lends itself to be able to kind of uh, leverage uh, from those experiences and and both in this direction and in terms of towards fans vest and also looking at somebody wants to take some of this information here and look at a sports book yeah absolutely there's definitely that crossover and gleaning information from fan vest to use outside of fan vest or vice versa with the the betting market so projecting out to other sports or other structures obviously it seems perfectly set up for for tournament style march madness style offerings but what about a season of NFL, a season of baseball? Tell us projecting out what you expect on those types. Definitely. So very simply, this is exactly what you said. This is sort of like if we offer our products through these three types, contest or tournament being one, weekly is another, and then season long. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this is our kind of most basic sort of vanilla uh, product, but it's really fun for tournaments. The Masters is another thing that something like this would, would work for. Um, and for this, one thing I'd add is also that the initial team pricing is based on all the seeds historical win percentage in the tournament in fan bucks. So like number one seeds are 79 fan bucks per share um, because number one seeds win about 79% of the games they play in the tournament all the way down to your 16 seeds, which are less than 1%, you know, when, when historical win rate. So they're at one fan buck per share. And each round as the tournament progresses, um, the price per share of the advancing team goes up by their margin of victory. So it gets more and more costly to reallocate or invest in teams as the tournament progresses. So that's just another kind of strategy element that'll be there. But even looking at kind of this season, you know, knock on wood um, that everything goes OK and we have an NFL season, we are going to be debuting our season long, our first season long product. 
And that is, um, again, something that we're really excited about. We've already built it. We've designed most of it actually last year. We just held off on releasing it. But that one is a little bit more, I'd say, analytical, a little bit more technical, um, different pricing than our weekly game, which will also be a part of it. But very simply, the way the season long product works is we have an initial team offering period before the season. And that's all uh, 32 NFL teams. And again, this is all on Fanbucks. And this initial team offering or an ITO um, is based on the team's average points per game from the previous season. Um, and so you can go ahead and invest before the season starts. Um, but during the season, uh, prices for all these teams will adjust based on this proprietary formula we have based on uh, the team's underlying performance. So if we go back to kind of like a stock market analogy, um, think of each Sunday or Monday or Thursday, you know, depending on when the team plays, it's kind of like an earning call, earnings call for the team. Um, and based on primarily, you know, did the team win or lose, the margin of victory or defeat, um, that will be fed into this proprietary price adjustment we have each Sunday. So you as the player basically can sit down and we have this toolkit where we've designed for everybody. You can sit down and you can value all these teams by looking at all of their future schedules. And you can use our model or you can put in your own estimates of how you think the team will do. So you can fill out the score each week or just what the margin of victory or defeat each week or just whatever average number you want to put in. And we've got a toolkit that our users will have access to that will spit out these kind of different values in the future um, of what based on your kind of estimates. So it's a really kind of fun, interactive way to kind of invest with a longer time horizon and be able to adjust that investment in a way that a futures bet does not allow you to do. And, you know, betting the money line every week is, is, is a good way to lose money. So this is this is something that really kind of preserves that and creates this kind of reward for people who have a longer term uh, horizon and are patient with certain teams that they think will realize value over the course of the season. So we're so excited about that. And then our weekly game, very simply, is um, every week uh, the prices reset and the prices trade like projected scores. And this was uh, part of our beta last year. Um, and sim goal you know, holds is that you want to invest in teams you think are going to win by the greatest margin of victory. Uh, but we also have an underdog factor in our weekly game that rewards, you know, investing in underdogs who win by adding a multiplier to that. And that has cash prizes every week based on that total gain loss performance. And our season long has massive cash prizes um, based on total return on the portfolio. So, again, it's this kind of different experience. But we have most of that infrastructure's already been built, like I said, and we're just super excited uh, to be able to debut that. It seems to me, or at least a question on the the expectation for user base, there is the simplicity to be, you know, taking something rather complex. And, you know, you said you're a technology company first, trying to essentially put together all the pieces to make it simple enough for the average sports fan. But also it contains that complexity for those that might be looking at more serious ways to invest, let's say. Do you expect to have a broad user base? Yeah, you know, it's one of this is going to be a function of, uh, honestly, a lot of the, the capital and the timing of the capital for our, our reach that I think we are capable of. So we've run all of our digital marketing in-house on a shoestring budget, and we've been really fortunate um, to have incredibly low acquisition costs for sign-up. Um, 
And part of that has been because I think uh, really Fern, our co-founder and head of product and I really actually mirror our two kind of customer avatars, um, where for me, I'm kind of more of the sort of financial services professional avatar first, uh, enjoys some fantasy sports, uh, has a more technical or quantitative approach to sports gambling. Um, and then Fern is sort of the daily fantasy year round uh, sports better year round person first sports fan um, who also has some sort of strategies and technical you know approaches. And so being able to kind of share what we think are kind of our two primary avatars, we have been able to really kind of, I think, resonate with um, our audiences and, and be able to kind of leverage our experiences and, and really push that through in our digital marketing and the opportunity to have a massive kind of user base. And we've been incredibly happy with the results we've been able to generate, you know, on, let's say, about $32,000 in, in lifetime digital spend. We've had, you know, about 7,500 uh, signups. And so that's, that's just something at a really low, you know, cost per acquisition at right now, the average is $4.33, um, which, is, which is quite low, which gives us a lot of confidence about the ability to do some serious reach where we've gotten folks from actually Google's startup team um, is eager to kind of work with us once we have uh, the, the right amount of capital for them to allocate for us and to be able to kind of leverage Google's tools. Um, and also we've got some talks with SiriusXM, um, a couple channels there to hit you know, CNBC, Bloomberg, as well as Fantasy. So for us, um, we really believe that there is, um, and our data suggests that there is real demand for this. Um, and what we're looking more as opposed to the kind of the top line number of users, we're looking to find our weekly active users, our super users, and to learn a lot and kind of interact with them. And, and, and those are the people that this product's ultimately for. Um, and because it's not going to be for everybody, but the same way that take a company like Robinhood um, has created this really fun, intuitive experience. And that's something that a company that we really sort of idolize and look up to in a lot of ways. A lot of people talk about their success being uh, a function of, of lowering commission costs to zero. I think that's that's the headline. But the reality, in my opinion, is their brilliant, brilliant design and customer experience and their ability to demystify the investment process and all these charts and noise that kind of existed on uh, more professional you know, products and apps um, told millennials who maybe had never invested before that this doesn't need to be rocket scientists and that it can be fun. Sorry, rocket science, and, and it can be fun. Um, and that's something that we want to have is preserve the opportunity to have like first time sports fans who maybe don't play fantasy, don't bet, but because we want to keep it fun at the team level for some of our products, that it can be sufficient if they're just a Seahawks fan and they like them. And if the Seahawks do well, all else being equal, they should do well on our platform. Um, and that, that kind of also is there on Robinhood. You know, hedge funds are there along with the first time investor who has a few hundred dollars who decides that they like Apple products. And again, all else being equal, they buy Apple stock and, and time. If Apple does well, you know, the stock price ought to appreciate, again, all else being equal. Um, but it's, it's one of these things that we think is really important. Um, and one of the challenges, I'd say, is always trying to uh, think about the customer first and have this sort of circular logic between that and the 
product and how the product is explained. And that's one of these things that we're always trying to kind of recalibrate, but try to make it as accessible as possible while also creating um, this separate experience for, again, we predict fewer people will gravitate towards some of the more analytical products, uh, but something that we want to offer to cater to everybody. So one final question before I get more details from you on those interested in participating in the, the March Madness simulation. This might be more of an entrepreneur question than anything else, but is there anything over the journey that you would like to have gone back and changed or adjusted based on what you know now, whether it's time or cost or other resource allocation that bugs you to today, or has it just been many ups, many downs, and you've been able to ride the wave? Yeah, um, I think it's the latter in the sense of, of course, there's always things that we wish could be done differently in retrospect. But one of the things that I try to discuss frequently and, and with with my team is to really have a kind of systems-based decision architecture for everything. And which is to say, like, embedding, if you're, do some of the math for it, you know, we've all heard, I think, of all your better listeners know expected value. Um, and that is the way we like to make kind of all, our, all of our decisions. And just as you can kind of have the, um, probably make the right bet based on the math or based on certain data, um, but the outcome can be different. That doesn't mean that you were wrong. Sometimes if you have, you know, if I flip a coin, a fair coin, and um, I ask you to guess what it is, you say heads, and it comes out tails, uh, you weren't wrong in terms of you had an equal chance of being either. It just turned out that that was tails. So that's not to say we don't make mistakes, but we try to not be biased by the outcome um, and try to always make sure that the decision process was logical, was thoughtful based on the information we had at that time. So if we can look back in retrospect and say, these outcomes were not the outcomes we wanted, but given the information we had, the resources, because we're always dealing with extreme scarcity of one, one resource or the other, and we're all up against time, that, that that is something that I can feel all of the discomfort from the ups and downs, and there are many, um, but I personally don't have a lot of rear view mirror kind of anxiety about the decisions we made at those times. I actually think a lot of these experiences have really helped us grow um, immensely. And I'm constantly, we're constantly learning from, from things that we maybe could be doing differently, but it's also trying to evaluate all those things based on the information we had at the time and how we reached that decision. If that, that's not trying to be a kind of a BS answer to that, but that's really truly like, I don't know at different points in time uh, with how I would have had access to all the information that I think could have helped. And then really there's just so much to learn and grow. So I think it's, it's a big process, but man, I mean, you have to really, in my opinion, be willing to kind of sink everything, all of your time and to keep getting off the floor when you're knocked down. And without that, would have folded up after a few months. I think it's certainly sage advice for everyone in all fields to have that process-driven approach and systematic thought process. And, and obviously the outcomes are going to be the outcomes. But just finally, before I let you go, tell us how people can be involved in the March Madness simulation, the best way to go about that and, and where they can find you. Absolutely. Um, so 
fanvestwageringexchange.com. You can sign up now, uh, free to play. Uh, our full website is out, and you can navigate the full site uh, on desktop or on mobile. Um, you also can start inviting friends, family, colleagues, whomever, um, through our private parties. We have these private little groups called our party section. So if you want to invite friends and family to compete, you can also earn more fan bucks by referring friends who sign up using uh, your unique referral code. And there's a referral portal that you'll see and also being able to, uh, you can click on your dashboard um, and to get on you know, the mailing list when you sign up. Also, I'd recommend following us on uh, Twitter at FanVestWX um, and also on Instagram at FanVestWageringExchange um, and LinkedIn. But on Instagram and Twitter primarily, and Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook, um, we're also going to be kind of providing more information, uh, box scores, updates, um, as well as um, our emails um, will be a really great source, I think, of some strategy and some discussion and, and complete game reviews. Uh, but fanvestwageringexchange.com, sign up and start you know, building your portfolio. All the uh, first round teams are available to purchase with your fan bucks. And um, basically, you want to get invested for this first round, uh, at least you know, for the first games before they tip um, at 12 p.m. Eastern um, on Saturday, March 21st. And our first game is between uh, number one seeded Kansas and 16 seeded Robert Morris. There you go. Perfect. Thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and I hope everyone gets a chance to engage with the simulation and hopefully many more real games to come. Yeah, thank you so much, Jake. I've really appreciated the opportunity uh, to chat with you and um, hope everybody also does well and staying safe and uh, we work together to continue to innovate and and try to fill the void left by the uh, suspension of, of sports. 